0: Foreman's Cybersecurity and Data Privacy Podcast. This series is designed to provide a high-level overview of what businesses and industry professionals need to know about cybersecurity and data privacy issues. We cover topics, trends, and developments while also discussing the fundamentals of the law. My name is Beth Shirley and I'm your host for this week's episode. I'm a partner at Burr and Foreman and I have been for over two decades. My practice is focused on cybersecurity and data privacy issues, as well as commercial litigation, which is my primary background before moving into cybersecurity and data privacy many years ago now. On this episode, we'll be discussing recent and upcoming changes in state privacy laws. The CCPA, or the California Consumer Privacy Act, went into effect January 1st, 2020 followed by the CPRA, the California Privacy Rights Act. California was the first state to start with the enactment of privacy laws, and as we'll discuss in later episodes, a number of states have followed suit. It should be noted that privacy laws in the states are different than the data breach notification laws that exist in all of the states Those data breach notification laws address what happens in the event of a data breach at an organization. Privacy laws relate to an organization's obligations to protect the privacy and security of consumers' personal information and to make certain disclosures regarding the organization's maintenance and use, retention and deletion of that personal information. So as I mentioned, the California laws, CCPA and CPRA started the trend and they've had a significant effect on the security landscape as a whole in the US. Many business owners who were not located in California have questioned whether they should be concerned about CCPA and CPRA. And the answer is probably so. If your company collects the personal information of California consumers that it needs to consider whether it otherwise qualifies as a business or other covered entity under the CCPA or CPRA. So those acts apply not only if your business is located in California, but also if it handles the personal information of California consumers. This means on a practical level that many organizations outside of California, meaning physically or electronically based outside of California, may nonetheless fall into the scope of CCPA and CPRA. So generally to determine whether an entity is a business that is subject to California privacy law, it has to be a for-profit legal entity doing business in California that collects consumers' personal information. That's element one. Number two, meets one or more of the following criteria. A, has annual gross revenues of more than $25 million in the preceding calendar year. b annually buys, sells, or shares the personal information of 50,000 or more consumers or households. C derives 50% or more of its annual revenues from selling, not just sharing, consumers' personal information. Note that the CCPA addresses the selling of personal information of consumers, which is defined very broadly but the CPRA expands that to the sharing of personal information. So again, there are these two criteria with regard to businesses. Number one always has to be for-profit legal entity doing business in California that collects the personal information of consumers and then one of the three options or criteria that I mentioned earlier. So you may have asked yourself in listening to this, well, who's a California consumer, right? There are many different ways to look at that term. The CCPA defines a consumer as a natural person who is a California resident. Well, that doesn't help much. What's a resident? I mean, there are various arguments that can be made, but it's not an exact definition. So California provides us with this guidance, referencing the definition of a quote-unquote resident in California's tax code 18 CCR section 17014 now the tax code defines a resident as individuals living in California for other than a temporary or transitory purpose and those who are domiciled in California and are outside the state for a temporary or transitory purpose so that does help narrow down, what what is a California consumer? You know, what information might I have on an individual that would be considered, you know, personal information that's going to subject my business to CCPA. So that's what you're looking for as a California resident. Definition. Now, what does doing business in California mean? This phrase is not specifically defined During the CCPA rulemaking process, the Office of the Attorney General took the position that the phrase should be given the meaning according to the plain language of the words and other California law. Other California laws, such as its tax code, define this phrase broadly to include actively engaging in any transaction for the purpose of financial or monetary gain or profit. So that's kind of the test here. Engaging in any transaction for the purpose of financial or monetary gain or profit. It means doing business in California. So that relates back to the requirement that the company be a for-profit legal entity as opposed to a not-for-profit. Accordingly, it may be safe to assume that if a company collects, sells, or shares personal information of California consumers and maintains a monetary benefit as a result, particularly on a regular basis, that may be considered doing business in California. Personal information is also defined broadly. So in the data breach notification laws that I mentioned earlier, there are various more restrictive definitions. But under the privacy laws, and in particular here, CCPA, it's defined very broadly, and it includes any information that directly or indirectly identifies, describes, or can reasonably be linked to a particular consumer or household. And what that means is it's not just a particular consumer, but anyone within the household if it can directly or Indirectly identify that household, then that is considered personal information. CCPA protects data even if it does not relate to a single individual, as it covers the households and data, even if the data does not contain a name. For example, these are examples of personal information a real name, an alias, a postal address, an email address, a unique personal or online identifier, an IP address an account name, a social security number, a driver's license number, or a passport number, records of products or services purchased, obtained, or considered, or other purchasing or consuming histories or tendencies. So that is a very broad category of personal information right there. Biometric information, browsing history, search history, and information regarding a consumer's interaction with a website, application or advertisement again another broad category for businesses who have an online presence geolocation data audio electronic visual thermal or other similar information professional or employment related information educational information and any inferences drawn from these categories to create a profile of a consumer so even if you're not specifically meeting the individual elements of the, of the features just listed, if you use bits and pieces to create a profile, even from public information, that's going to potentially get you under the definition of personal information being collected. It's also important to understand what is not personal information. So it excludes publicly available information information lawfully made available from federal, state, or local government records. De-identified or aggregate consumer information is considered not personal information, so that is helpful in a business determining its practices in maintaining private or personal information. If it is de-identified or aggregated then it is not considered personal information. Also considered personal information is information collected, used, sold, or disclosed pursuant to the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act or the Driver's Privacy Protection Act, but only if CCPA is in conflict with those laws. In other words, Graham-Leach-Bliley Act and Driver's Privacy Protection Act of 1995 are the governing statutes for those organizations who are regulated under those acts. But if CCPA is in conflict, meaning there are some additional obligations, it seems that one must also comply with CCPA's obligations that may be over and above those federal laws. And another element that is not personal information is information sold to or from a consumer reporting agency, as that's defined in the Fair Credit Reporting Act, when the personal information is reported in or used to generate a consumer credit report. So again, this seems to be another way of stating that companies that are regulated and comply with the Fair Credit Reporting Act do not also have to comply separately with CCPA. The federal statute preempts it. Next, to understand CCPA, we're gonna discuss its main requirements. We've talked about whether you are under the definition of a business, of handling personal information. Then the question is, well, what do I have to do if I meet those requirements? So it has these main issues that it addresses. Businesses must provide notice about collection practices this is related to disclosure and transparency that's one of the main purposes of ccpa let consumers know what information what personal information your organization is collecting about them let them know what you're doing with it why and the business partners you're sharing it with or selling it to There are various other requirements in addition to these, but that's kind of the main notion. Let consumers know what personal information your organization has and give them control over it. Don't just take their personal information and do whatever your organization wants with it. Consumers maintain control over their information. So another obligation of an organization subject to CCPA is to disclose and keep up to date at least once every 12 months a description of consumers rights or a privacy notice. I'm sure you've seen many of those on websites you visit. You have an obligation to update that review update every 12 months. I will note too that organizations cannot just post a privacy notice, sometimes it's called a privacy policy, but they cannot just post a privacy notice and walk away and assume they're good until next year. They need to make sure that they actually implement the procedures and the rights that are set out in the privacy notice. So, for example, requesting that their personal information be deleted. A consumer has to operationally have that right instead of just being posted on The privacy notice, additionally, and this tends to be a larger cost or can be a larger cost for organizations, they have to make sure that when there is a request, say for example, to have their personal information ported or sent over to another entity in a usable form, that that is responded to in a timely manner that any complaint is responded to in a timely manner. A request to delete is responded to in a timely manner. So these are areas that are behind the outer facing privacy notice and that ensure it is properly operational. Another requirement under CCPA that is one of its overarching goals is to list separately for consumers the categories of personal information that the business collects, sold, and disclosed for a business purpose in the preceding 12 months. Again, you're letting consumers know what your business is doing with their personal information. Also, provide notice about onward transfers of PI. Again, this relates to what is this organization doing with my personal information, and you've got to let that person know, well, I'm, you know, sharing it with my business partner, I'm selling it to this company so that they have a right to object to that. And then CCPA also requires that the business make available two or more designated methods for requesting personal information held by the business. So again, this goes to the operationality of the privacy notice where it actually has to work, right? You've got to give them two or more specific methods for requesting assistance. If the company is selling personal information, it must provide the right to opt out in a clear and conspicuous link on the privacy notice, on the website, or both that says, do not sell my personal information. So that needs to be the hyperlink, When a consumer clicks on it, there should be a procedure in place to allow that right and selection to be implemented. The business must also seek opt-in consent from consumers between the ages of 13 to 16 for collection, use, sale of their personal information. So normally, the way CCPA works and U.S. laws work in the privacy area is A company can collect, disclose, share, whatever its options are for personal information. It can do that without consumers' consent. However, the company must give consumers the right to limit the company's use of that personal information, which is why, you know, there's also the requirement Mm -hmm. that consumers' rights be disclosed so the consumers know how to exercise their rights and what rights they have. The CCPA requires businesses to seek opt-in consent from parents if a consumer is under 13 years of age. So this is consistent with COPA, um, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, which is a federal statute, and it is really aiming at ensuring that children who are defined as under 13 years of age are protected from abusive practices of a company with regard to their personal information with the understanding that children do not have the same level of sophistication and comprehension as do adults. Next, establish procedures for receiving and processing verifiable consumer requests we talked about that earlier with regard to making sure your privacy notice actually works as posted and then also amend contracts with third parties to clarify that personal information is not shared for value if applicable and what does that mean that means that if your organization is sharing personal information and this is under ccpa to the vendor or to the third party Have a clarification. This is not being shared for any monetary value. That could help assist with compliance with the CCPA and what needs to be disclosed to consumers versus what doesn't need to be disclosed if the business is making it clear that I'm not disclosing this information to this third party for any sale or monetary purposes. Of course, that needs to be consistent with the actual facts. A a written statement won't make something that is not happening true, but it will help clarify any gray areas, again, under CCPA. So we had talked about employees' personal information just a little bit when we were talking about what's considered personal information, and there was a debate early on when the CCPA was passed about whether it applies to employers in treating employees' personal information. That has been addressed by CPRA pretty directly, but generally the resolution, even under CCPA, is that as of January 1st, 2023, the full scope of CCPA rights are set to extend to California employees. So as of January this coming year, employers will have to comply fully with CCPA, CPRA. At this time, CCPA applies such that employees have the right to know what personal information is being collected and how it is used, but they do not have at this time the full right to request deletion, modification, portability, and all of the other rights that are imposed under CCPA for consumers as a whole. Business owners should note that there are penalties for not complying with CCPA, and they can be significant. So generally, it is enforceable by the California Attorney General. There is not a private right of action per se for violations of the CCPA with one very notable exception. The notable exception is data security breach violations. So that is subject to private right of action and you may have been seeing a number of class actions that are seeking certification where the primary allegation under CCPA is data breach security problems. And so that would provide a foothold potentially based on the actual facts into CCPA it says consumers may bring private causes of action with statutory damages between $100 to $750 per consumer per incident for data security breach violations or actual damages, whichever is greater. Now, the California Attorney General can bring actions, in it alone, for other provisions under the CCPA that may have been violated. So, for example, not updating a privacy notice, not having, you know, the right to not sell my information posted in a uh, privacy notice or elsewhere. And those penalties are a $2,500 fine for each unintentional violation Uh, which would mean, you know, the company didn't have notice and it can show it was unintentional and a $7,500 fine for each intentional violation. So again, that will be fact specific. But for example, if the company has received notice, perhaps from the California Attorney General, that it was not in compliance and it did not fix the problem, that may subject it to the $7,500 fine. So that's kind of the overview of the CCPA and some basic provisions. There are a lot of other provisions in there. I'm just trying to kind of give you a general overview. Now, how does it relate to the California Privacy Rights Act? That, or CPRA, that act clarifies some of the portions of CCPA that weren't so clear and modifies portions and includes some differing content. So it's not an entirely new groundbreaking act. It's related to CCPA, but it needs to be addressed and should be addressed by businesses at this time because it goes into effect January 1st of 2023. So the criteria to determine whether an entity is a business are one, a for-profit legal entity doing business in California, Collects consumers' personal information, same as CCPA, and meets one or more of the following criteria A has annual gross revenues of more than 25 million the preceding calendar year. It was not entirely clear under CCPA that this 25 million in revenue and gross revenue related to the preceding calendar year. So, CPRA that clarifies that that is the time frame to, to look at. Also, it does not limit this revenue to just California revenues. It's throughout the US or internationally. It's just revenue generally of the company, gross revenue. Next, annually buys, sells, or shares the personal information of 100,000 or more consumers or households. Now, this is somewhat beneficial to businesses who may be seeking not to have to comply with CPRA or CCPA because the CCPA provides a lower threshold of 50,000 residents or consumers. So the scope of consumers that businesses are buying, selling, or sharing the personal information of has increased under CPRA to 100,000 from the prior 50,000 under CCPA. And then finally, the last criteria is, derives 50% or more of its annual revenues from selling or sharing consumers' personal information. So this is where CPRA broadens the CCPA because it's not just looking at a business's selling of information for any sort of value, but also the sharing. So that is a a pretty significant change of CPRA. So again, it's still two elements. The first one, for-profit entity doing business in California that collects consumers' personal information, that's the same. And then under the second element, meeting the various criteria, there are some modifications to each each of those elements, any one of which must be met in order to qualify as a business under CPRA. So primary changes to the CPRA include the following additional rights. Businesses must disclose the consumer's right to request the correction of inaccurate personal information and the consumer has the right to request that the business correct such inaccurate personal information. So the business must disclose it, the right to correct, and give the consumers the ability to implement that right. Next, the CPRA creates a new category of sensitive personal information, which includes personal information that reveals a consumer's social security number, driver's license number, state identification card or passport number, account login, financial account, debit card number or credit card number, in combination with a required security or access code, password or credentials allowing access to the account, precise geolocation data. What does that mean? That means is a radius of 1,850 feet around the consumer or less. That's considered precise geolocation data. Racial or ethnic origin, religious or philosophical belief or union membership, mail, email, and text message content unless the business is, of course, the intended recipient of the correspondence. Genetic data, businesses must notify consumers of the collection of sensitive personal information, the purposes for which it is being collected or used, and whether it is being sold or shared. Finally, consumers have the right to limit the use of their sensitive personal information to only as necessary to perform the services or provide the goods reasonably expected based on the transaction with the business. So essentially, CPRA takes some of the categories of CCPA and categorizes them as sensitive personal information, which under CCPRA are entitled to some additional protections, which we will discuss herein. So the CPRA requires that, in addition to displaying the link do not sell or share my personal information, on the business's homepage, businesses must also post a link for limit the use of my sensitive personal information. So this new category that, you know, recategorizes some personal information from CCPA and also articulates some various other information that's considered personal has to create a separate link to address that sensitive personal information. In the alternative to these links, however, businesses could one, use a single clearly labeled link on the business's homepage, or two, respect an opt-out preference signal sent with the consumer's consent by the consumer's technology or platform. Now, this one's a little bit tricky, number two. Because the specific guidelines as to the technical procedure for respecting an opt-out preference signal sent with the consumer's consent by the consumer's technology or platform are not exactly set out and still evolving. Also under the CPRA, consumers have a right to know the length of time the business intends to retain each category of personal information and sensitive personal information. The CPRA implements data minimization and purpose limitation principles similar to those found in GDPR. This is one of the key elements of GDPR, which is the EU General Data Protection Regulation. Your businesses, you know, based on their size are likely familiar with GDPR and compliance with it. So California privacy law Adopts that data minimization and purpose limitations principle, which is essentially that you know, an organization collects personal information on a consumer as needed for the transaction intended or for the purpose intended. A business does not just collect personal information that it does not need just because it wants to use it for maybe selling to another company and making some money. In addition, the data minimization and Purpose limitations principles address not retaining data for any longer than needs to be retained, so it, it shouldn't just be saved forever. Another element under CPRA is that businesses must implement and maintain reasonable security procedures and practices. These are not specifically defined. And finally, the CPRA sets out requirements for contracts between a business and a third party service provider or contractor, and they generally involve vendor management provisions. So this element of CPRA ensures that a business, when they outsource certain business functions, particularly involving personal information, ensure that the vendor they're using also complies with companies processes, security, you know, and honoring of the rights of consumers that are memorialized in CCPA and CPRA. There are some exceptions to CPRA, and those are, if every aspect of a business's commercial conduct takes place wholly outside of California, then the CPRA does not apply to the business's collection, selling, or sharing of the consumer's personal information. In fact, this would take it, the business out of the definition of requirements in order to be subject to the CCPA or the CPRA in this case. Other exemptions are based on compliance with federal, state, or local law, court order, or subpoena to provide information, and we talked briefly about those earlier with the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act, the FICRA, Drivers Protection Act, etc. There are also exemptions for compliance with other applicable laws, such as HIPAA, HITECH, which was enacted after HIPAA and is related to it, the health care, the health information technology for Economic and Clinical Health Act, and various others. The CPRA extends the exemption in the CCPA for collecting personal information of employees, owners, directors, officers, independent contractors, and job applicants from January 1, 2022 to January 1, 2023, which is what I mentioned earlier about the enactment of employee rights under California's privacy laws. The exemption concerning personal information collected in the course of business-to-business communications and transactions is also extended generally until January 1, 2023. So at this time, the California privacy laws do not apply to transactions between businesses, right? It applies to a business-to-consumer situation, and it still does not apply to -to business-to-business until, you know, the beginning of next year, 2023. It should be noted, this does not mean that, you know, public information about a business is subject to California's privacy laws. Instead, any personal information of representatives of the business that is collected through the business-to-business transaction would be subject to the protections, right? Because it's still someone's personal information, even if they are acting on behalf of the business. In conclusion, while businesses may be able to conduct a general assessment as to whether they are subject to compliance with CCPA and CPRA, I recommend that they consult with the data privacy cybersecurity attorney regarding how to implement compliance and, importantly, how to monitor and ensure ongoing compliance. You know, it's not, CCPA and CPRA compliance are not just a matter of, I've checked these boxes. It is also ensuring that the business understands what they mean in relation to the business's operations and then also ensuring that those rights, those options, those disclosures to consumers are actively monitored, enforced, any complaints addressed, etc. And it is, you know, our recommendation that a business consult with an attorney in the relevant area to be able to assist, we can do that. Would love to hear from any of you. So next episode, we will be talking about some state privacy laws that followed after California, and I look forward to speaking with you then.